At a time when the Labour Party membership seems to have near total control over the direction of the Labour Party, and the Conservative Party membership is due in the not-too-distant future to pick a new Prime Minister for the country, it would appear that the views of the two main political parties' membership has never been more important and politically significant too. So on this week's uh, Polling Matters episode, I wanted to explore that in more detail. Who are the members of the two main political parties? What do they think on the issues? And what does that mean for the political future of our country? Welcome to the Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce this week's guest, uh, Professor Tim Bale from Queen Mary University. Tim has been running some work on the views and composition of the two main political parties in Great Britain. Uh, he's actually been doing it on several others, but we're going to focus on Labour and the Conservatives today. And when I spoke to Tim earlier this week, he explained to me a bit about the work he's been doing. Yeah, uh, the work we've been doing on party members is part of a bigger project funded by the Economic and Social Research Council, the ESRC, looking at party members in the 21st century. And it's been going since um, 2015. Uh, We've done uh, surveys of uh, six parties, both in 2015 and 2017, just after the election. Uh, And we also did a survey of uh, people who joined the Labour Party um, because of or under Jeremy Corbyn. And we did a survey, too, of people who left their parties, uh, you know, with the aim of trying to find out not only why people join, but also why people quit. Uh, But this latest survey was specifically on members and actually on voters to see what they thought about, you know, what seems to be becoming, you know, the defining issue of our era Mm. in some ways, Brexit. Sure. And I mean, so before we get into some of that, what do we know about the people that are members of political parties? I mean, presumably they're not necessarily representative of the, the broader general population. No, absolutely. I mean, it does vary between parties, um, but you'd have to say uh, party members tend to be male rather than female. Uh, They're overwhelmingly middle class, and as much as you can use something like the ABC1 um, categorization to to describe them as such, uh, over 95% of them uh, are uh, white British uh, rather than from a BME background. Uh, and generally speaking, they're pretty middle-aged uh, as well. Uh, you often hear uh, talk of, uh, you know, conservative members being, you know, the average age 72. I mean, we certainly haven't found that. We found that they're in their late 50s, but then we found that the members of most parties uh, are in their early 50s. So they're not actually that unusual. So what what sort of differences do we see between um, Labour and Conservative members. Let's focus on Labour and Conservative today because of uh, the, the ongoing Brexit debate. I suppose the first, <laughs> the first most obvious difference is there are more of them uh, in terms of Labour members over Conservatives. But what, what other differences are we seeing? Well, um, Labour members, in terms of the demographics anyway, um, are rather uh, less likely to be uh, men than Conservative members. Uh, actually, one of the um, good things about uh, the uh, huge bump of members uh, under Jeremy Corbyn has been that far more women have joined. So actually, Labour's quite um, gender balanced and almost as gender balanced as the Greens now, which is interesting. Uh, Labour members are slightly less uh, middle class than the Conservatives, but not by a long way. I mean, around over 75% of Labour members are ABC1 
uh, and uh, a lot of them have got degrees as well. And they are a little bit more likely to be from a BAME background, but not that much more likely. And as I say, they're a little bit younger than Conservative members. Um, the thing about Labour members, though, is that they're not necessarily concentrated in where Labour's uh, vote is concentrated. So actually, Labour's got a lot of uh, its members uh, in the south of England, um, probably in quite safe Conservative seats, actually. Um, and that's probably become more true uh, after 2015 and with a sort of Corbyn effect than it was before. So what about what about Tory members? Are they are they distributed more where the where their vote is? Uh, yes, because they uh, tend to be from the south of England. Over um, four out of ten of them uh, live in the south of England. Uh, they're not that well represented in the north, uh, nor in Scotland. Um, you know, there's a reasonable number of them in London, and of course, uh, you know, London is generally speaking a Labour city. But of course, there are you know quite strong Conservative pockets in uh, and around London. Mm. Um, they're a little bit older uh, than uh, Labour members, as I say, on average, and actually. Uh, if you look at the age distribution within uh, the parties, then it is true to say that the, the Conservatives have got, uh, I think it's something like you know 40 odd percent of them are over over 65. So you know quite a lot of them are retired. Uh, I mean the the other difference between them, I think, uh, are really you know when it comes to ideology, because uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Labour members you know are, are um, pretty left wing and have become more left wing, but Conservative members really are you know very right wing, um, not just on um, you know the kind of state market dimension, but also on that kind of libertarian authoritarian dimension. You know, Conservative members really do sort of stick out. Um, compared to the members of most other parties apart from UKIP. And even if you if you look at UKIP members, actually they're not that right-wing on the state market dimension. They're just very right-wing on the authoritarian, libertarian dimension. But then so are conservative members. Mm, lots of crossover there. So let, let, the premise yeah. of this episode is uh, obviously the importance of uh, party members given um, their hegemony over the Labour Party and you know, Corbyn's leadership obviously is relevant to that. But also, you know, there's a prospect of the Tories uh, choosing a, a new prime minister, the Tory membership choosing a new prime minister one way or another mm. in the not too distant future. So let's so let's get into the issues then. Let's start with Labour. So on Brexit, we have this, I mean, it's, it's an oft very uh, hotly contested um, policy that Labour have on Brexit, which seems to be, I mean, I'm going to get shot for saying this probably, but um, I'm going to get get some abuse for saying this, but, um, you know, it seems to be to essentially, de facto at least, op oppose a second referendum and back Brexit. Maybe maybe things will change in the future. Don't, don't at me, as it were. But um, so <laughs> what, what, does the Labour what does the Labour membership uh, think about Brexit? Well, clearly they're overwhelmingly against the idea of leaving the European Union. Uh, a very, very um, large majority of them voted to remain uh, back in 2016. And uh, almost nine out of ten of them think that we made the wrong decision as a country uh, back in in, uh, in 2016 in that referendum. Uh, and nearly three quarters of them now want uh, their leader, Jeremy Corbyn, to, to support a new referendum. Uh, on Brexit. And it's clear that if we did get that referendum, again, the overwhelming majority, nearly nine out of 10 of them would vote to, to stay in the European Union. So this is, to all intents and purposes, a very Europhile party. Um, there really aren't very many um, Labour Leave members. 
But of course, that's where we get a bit of a difference with uh, Labour voters who are slightly less Europhile uh, and, you know, uh, do contain, you know, pockets in certain parts of the country anyway of, of, uh, of Leave voters. I suppose that must be on the minds of the Labour leadership, you know, this idea of can they keep this coalition together um, that did delivered them a hung parliament um, in 2017. But so I guess on face value, Tim, that looks like a, a bit of a conflict between Jeremy Corbyn and and the Labour leadership mm. and uh, and then the rest of the mem- and the membership basically, but I wonder is it as simple as that because presumably there's a prioritisation in the minds of members a bit isn't there where okay they might prefer remain they might want a second referendum but do they they seem to support I think in the tables it suggested that they supported Labour's policy on Brexit yes right? they I, do I right? and, and I. Yeah, I mean, it is true to say that although clearly, you know, they're at odds in some ways with the leadership who, uh, at the moment anyway, isn't doing uh, what they want them to do in endorsing a second referendum, uh, they still actually would say that they're, you know, fairly supportive of the party's uh, stance on Brexit. And I think that's because uh, they believe, um, you know, rightly or wrongly, that the policy that was set out uh, at conference uh, back in the autumn of 2018 is eventually going to see the leadership to accept the need to endorse a referendum. And mm-hmm. the policy at the moment is for uh, Labour to you know, um, vote against Mrs May's deal. If that um, uh, gets voted down, then to um, get a motion of no confidence, which would then hopefully result in an election in the Labour government, and they would then either renegotiate uh, or, you know, um, see what happens. If that doesn't happen, uh, supposedly then all the options are on the table, one of which is a, is a second referendum. So I think a lot of members um, are prepared, as it were, to sort of wait and see as to what happens next week and, and what Labour's reaction is and then what happens after a confidence vote, if that confidence vote doesn't work. Um, I think the, the problem for Jeremy Corbyn is... is when all the other options run out, is he going to endorse a second referendum? And if he doesn't, I think he is going to be in trouble with quite a lot of his members. But is it possible, though, just to play devil's advocate, that the Europe issue is less important to the membership than having a Corbyn-led socialist Labour Party? And therefore, I mean, I know mm. it's not necess- they're not necessarily having to choose between that directly but but maybe in their heads it's like well if i have to choose between one or the other i'll have corbyn thanks um i think that's possible i mean that's not something we um actually tested in the survey but what surprised me actually was quite how um brexit kind of dominated um people's views of what the most important issue in the country was uh, among labor members i mean it was uh, around six out of ten labor members said it was the the most important issue facing the country and i mean that absolutely dwarfed any other issue including issues that are supposedly very important to labor members like you know the economy like the nhs um you know taxation etc cetera, etc cetera. i mean those came nowhere near brexit so this is very much uppermost in the minds of most um, Labour members uh, at the moment, as it is, of course, for, for voters, whether they be Labour or, or Conservative. So um, in, you might well be right, but at the moment, Brexit is, you know, blotting out the sun, if you like. <laughs> 
No, very much yeah. top of mind. I want to get onto the Tories, but there was one other a question that I noticed in the poll that I thought was interesting, which was about uh, who, which was about who they would prefer as a future leader, and it seemed to be Keir Starmer leading. To be fair, a, a sort of almost a, a pack that would rival the Democrats in twenty twenty in terms of its depth <laughs> of a, or number of candidates. But I mean, did that did that surprise you? Uh, some of the numbers that you saw there. Well, it did. I mean, I think that our survey is interesting in the sense that we don't give people a predetermined list to choose from. So we right. just oh, say, okay. look, could yep. you write in who you think um, should um, should replace Jeremy Corbyn, you know, when and if he steps down? Um, and that does, of course, tend to mean that you get a, a, a bigger field because, you know, people come up with all sorts of suggestions. And it also means that don't know tends to be, you know, higher than it would be if people are presented with a list. But it did surprise me, actually, that Keir Starmer came top, albeit with only 18% of people mentioning him. But he, he did come, uh, you know, uh, top um, compared to John McDonnell, who was just underneath him, and Emily Thornbury. Some of these people who, you know, were, were mentioned uh, in in the media as being the kind of, you know, obvious people to, to take over from Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, and actually, you know, even someone like Yvette Cooper, um, you know, 10% of people mentioned her. So <laughs> I, I think, you know... You, you, Bit of name you recognition, maybe? That, well, name recognition, I think, is very important. Um, but you, you do find, I think, that, you know, perhaps um, support for the EU is, to some extent, um, you know, helping to drive people's views on on who should replace Jeremy Corbyn when, when and if he goes. But, of course, in some ways, it, it is a hypothetical question, of mm, course, for a course. lot of Labour supporters, because they're, they're deeply supportive still of, of, of Jeremy Corbyn, uh, himself. But nevertheless, I think it is interesting. And I think it says something about Keir Starmer's profile, um, given Brexit. And I mean, I think a lot of Labour members were very grateful for what he did back in uh, the conference when, you know, he went off script uh, and basically forced the leadership <laughs> yes, <laughs> into admitting yeah. that a second referendum had to be uh, you know, in the running, if if a confidence vote doesn't uh, doesn't produce the Labour government. I mean, maybe I think it's fair to say that Jeremy Corbyn and Tony Blair don't have a lot in common. Um, but may, but maybe one of the things they do have in common will be that they uh, they don't produce an obvious heir. Um, I mean, it depends on your interpretation of Gordon Brown, I suppose. No, uh, but, no, no, uh, no there is that. That's quite that's quite right. And I mean, I think one of the one of the things about the sheer spread of of uh, the names that were mentioned in some ways. Um, says something about the, the sort of failure of other big beasts, if you like, to um, uh, to you know rise. Uh, you know, some of the, the the people who you know people who are uh, obsessed with politics will immediately call to mind people like Angela Rayner or Rebecca Long Bailey. You know, even Sadiq Khan. Um, you know, were barely mentioned by members as a, as a possibility, which you know I think I think says something about. Um, you know the, the the profile of people under under Corbyn. I mean, for most people, you know, Corbyn is the Labour Party, and the Labour Party is Corbyn. Mm. Let's move on to the Tories. Obviously, in in power and negotiating Brexit as we speak. Um, you mentioned earlier that the Tory membership is uh, right wing. I'm going to assume that leads to a pretty hard line on Brexit. Then it does, and I think one of the things that really came out of the survey of Conservative Party members was quite how sanguine they are about the prospect of uh, no deal. Uh, I mean, 76% uh, off the top of my head of members thought that no deal warnings by the government, you know, about shortages or disruption, were exaggerated or invented. <laughs> right, so, okay. I mean, that, 
that is the mirror image of Labour members who, who you know, believe that it would be catastrophic to, as they would put it, crash out of the, the EU. Um, so, uh, that you know, they, they really feel that the no deal wouldn't actually be that much of a problem. And when we um, gave them, you know, um, sort of hypothetical referendums, um, no deal quite easily beat uh, Theresa May's deal. Uh, for example, when we, we put those two up against each other. So um, Conservative members have not been persuaded at all by Theresa May's uh, and her government's warnings about, you know, the difficulties that no deal would um, would present. And I think, you know, that's awkward for Mrs May because, of course, what she presumably um, wanted over Christmas was to uh, see some of her MPs get a bit of an ear bashing mm. uh, <laughs> by... Uh, uh, their constituency members uh, returning with their tail between their legs to vote for her deal. Well, I just don't think that's happened. You know, if anything, I think Conservative Party members on the ground are probably more um, optimistic about, you know, the the, the consequences of a no deal um, Brexit than, than even their MPs. And for example, they're, they're also um, feel that crashing out, you know, if we want to use that term, uh, of the EU would actually have a, a kind of positive effect on the economy uh, two-thirds of them think think that yeah i mean at the risk of editorializing too much i think it's fair to say objectively the messaging on no deal has been a bit confused shall we use that british understatement i mean what you've got is um the line was no deal is better than a bad deal and at the moment we're simultaneously preparing for no deal and saying that we're we're, we're prepared to go there whilst also trying to convince people it's a, a disaster and something that we don't want to contemplate. So I, I'm, I'm not surprised there's confusing mixed messages coming out on it. Mm. Um, I mean, did, I don't know. I didn't see the tables for this one, Tim. I mean, did you have any um, questions on what, how, um, how good a job uh, Tory members think Theresa May is doing? Uh, and I know that Corbyn is very popular among the Labour, Labour Party. What's the deal with Theresa May and the Tory party? Yeah, I mean, they're not uh, particularly impressed with the way that uh, the, um, the Theresa May has been negotiating. Uh, you know, uh, only 15% of members think that she's got a good deal. Um, uh, 43% of them said that uh, it's a bad deal, but they think that any other leader would have, have, have uh, done any better. But that leaves, you know, over a third of them thinking that she's, you know, she's got a bad deal and, and an alternative leader would have got a better deal. So mm. <laughs> uh, they, don't, they don't think she's doing that well. Um, I, I mean, that has, I think, bled into, you know, their perceptions of how well she's doing as um, prime minister. I mean, she's a conservative prime minister, but only 51% of conservative members think that she's doing well as prime minister and 48% of them think she's doing badly as prime minister. Wow. So that really is a measure of, of quite how um, poor her reputation is, even among her own supporters. And I suppose that all these numbers, I mean, people will say, oh, why, why do we care what the Tory party membership thinks? You know, it's only a small group of par partisan people. But I mean, these are the people that are going to be choosing um, the next prime minister if we assume that there won't be a sort of victor by acclamation again. I think that's probably a fair assumption, but who knows? Um, we're often wrong when we watch these things, aren't we? Um, what do you think it tells us about the type of Brexit we might get? I mean, I know there's a debate about whether no deal happens or not. I suppose... In theory, by the time there's a new leader, that will have been that issue will have been settled. But the, what you're saying suggests to me that the candidate that goes to the Tory party membership promising the cleanest, hardest Brexit is likely to be popular and possibly the next prime minister. 
Well, I think that's right, because we did ask them, uh, as we asked Labour members, to write in who they thought should um, succeed you know, their um, current leaders. Uh, and when we do that, it's um, clear that really the Brexiteers have the, the upper hand. Um, again, you know, you get a lot of people saying they don't know. Um, but the, the top of the poll uh, was Boris Johnson. Uh, with 20%, and then uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg with 15%, and then um, below them um, comes David Davis, and and then there's Dominic Raab. And and so, you know, even someone like Sajid Javid, who, uh, you know, was a Remainer and is now a Lever, is quite a way behind um, mm. Johnson and Rees-Mogg. Now, I'm not saying that Johnson and Rees-Mogg will get it, but I think the fact that they you know, were named uh, in the top two places suggests that whoever gets it will have to offer, uh, you know, a pretty hard Brexit, if you like. And that's why we've seen people like Jeremy Hunt, I assume, uh, and Dominic Raab, and even, you know, recently perhaps um, Sajid Javid, um, you know, try to um, position themselves in, in that particular space. So final question, Tim. I mean, you've been doing this for a couple of waves now, I think, this research. I mean, what, what, have, you, what have you learned, generally speaking, about uh, from, from doing this research, from the, the types of people that are party members and um, their, their political leanings. I mean, what, what's, what, what strikes you? Well, well, what what strikes me is a how unrepresentative they are of hmm. uh, you know the the ordinary voter. Um, I mean, I think we always knew that, but in, in some ways, you know, one of the things about doing a project like this is you know sometimes it, it does confirm your expectations, <laughs> but you know, to the max. I mean, I I think. I think, you know, the sort of transformation of party politics into a kind of middle class sport, which we've seen very much in Parliament, has also happened uh, to the extra parliamentary uh, parties. Uh, so that's one obvious thing. I think the degree of polarisation between um, the Conservatives and to some extent UKIP on the one hand and then the rest of the parties on the other is, is very marked and it's particularly uh, marked uh, over Brexit. Um, but we've we've learned all sorts of other things. I think about you know why people um, uh, join political parties, and, and actually, although people often say, oh well, it's you know self-interest, self-advancement, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, actually, it really is very um, clear that it's it's simply ideological commitment, you know, and, and real belief in the values that mm. these parties. Uh, represent and that's very very important to members uh, and and equally you know when we look at why they leave it's very often because they fall out ideologically with their parties you know it's not necessarily because you know they get bored or you know they they, they find meetings difficult or you know all those kinds of things it's 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 because you know they they do have sort of serious disagreements these are people who take politics uh, pretty seriously. The other thing I think that's been interesting is because we surveyed members just after two elections, uh, we were able to see quite how few members can truly be called activists. I mean, it really is the case that, you know, five, maybe 10% of people really deserve that name. Mm. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> well, sometimes people make this illusion between party members and, and activists, and they are definitely not the same thing. <laughs> Well, yes, and I, I guess what I'm picking up from you there is a, an era of polarisation exists at the moment in British politics and it doesn't seem to be um, going away. Uh, Tim Bale from Queen Mary University, thank you very much for your time. That was Professor Tim Bale from Queen Mary University. Big thanks to Tim for joining us on the podcast once again. He joined us um, a couple of years ago. Um, very much appreciate his input. Um, lots to chew over there on the party memberships. Um, I mean, the one thing that does really stand out for me when I look at the, the context in which we see these numbers, and that's 
really at the heart of what we do in research, we try and take numbers and apply them to the real world, is that the views of these these groups of people, uh, however unrepresentative, as, as Tim Bale says they might be, are, are just so important to the future of the country. Um, whether it's Jeremy Corbyn, leader of the Labour Party, and it doesn't seem like he's going anywhere anytime soon, or his replacement, you know, the views of the Labour Party membership are critical in um, the future of the Labour Party. Um, I suppose it, it remains to be seen, however, of course, um, whether or not those views on Brexit specifically uh, end up um, dictating the direction the party leadership takes, but that's maybe a, a side point. And then on the flip side, on the Conservative side, I mean, Theresa May is trying to get her withdrawal agreement through, but it seems pretty clear that the Brexiters are in the box seat um, if they replace her and uh, go to the membership with a with a plan for the future relationship, even in a world where the withdrawal agreement does pass. I mean, possibly does wonder, as an aside, looking at that, is whether or not um, Theresa May will be able to convince uh, some of the Brexiters to, to support her withdrawal agreement on the basis that they can um, set the tone for the future um, uh, political sort of direction of Brexit. It doesn't seem that way at the moment, um, but maybe she can shave off a few votes uh, by making that argument. But um, lots to lots to chew over. Do follow Tim on uh, Twitter if you want to find out more um, about that research. Um, that's all we've got time for for this week's uh, politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. Trying to keep them a little bit shorter in the new year. Uh, something of a New Year's resolution. But there are lots of other topics to cover in the coming weeks. Not, o- not only the meaningful vote and the, the fallout from that, but what the uh, political implications of backing Brexit, if they carry on doing so, might be for Labour. And also, we'll be taking a look at um, what's going on in the US as well, for those of you that are interested. Um, Elizabeth Warren has uh, started the firing gun in the race to face Donald Trump in 2020, but it's a very crowded field and lots of interesting uh, numbers to chew over on that. But that's for another day. Um, That's all we've got time for for this week's episode. As I say, if you like what you hear, please do share us on social media. Um, give us a positive rating on iTunes or other podcast apps and uh, tell a friend about us. It all helps uh, get the show out there. Um, we very much enjoy what we do and like to get more listeners where we can. Um, but for now, thanks for listening and have a great week.